0: The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a
1: twist about it. I went and bought this five-hour energy. I had a choice between regular strength and extra strength, and I bought the regular strength one because, you know, I've never tried one of these before. I'm not going to wait. Why? No, take it, wait, no, take it right now. How many and milligrams, then milligrams then let it of caffeine like does that have? In. Is that what it is? It's it caffeine, yeah. 200 right? milligrams of caffeine. That, that's that's not, a hefty mm, dose. No. I feel like Swear when the people God. say you can
2: have three cups of coffee a day, they're talking a cup equals 100 milligrams of caffeine. Which is do we probably, need to fact check this? I, please do. I, all right, let's fine. Start, I'll but look, let's look let's at the The coffee.
1: thing is, I've probably already had two 16 ounce coffees today. So you have some. Or four 16 ounce coffees today. So this is the problem. yeah.
2: When we're saying a cup of coffee, like, eight fluid ounces contains ninety-five milligrams of coffee. That means most people, like myself, uh, are not okay. just having eight
0: ounces right. of coffee, right or right, eight right.
2: fluid ounces of coffee. So
3: they have coffee enemas. Can we do a five-hour? Do enema? not <laughs> PSA
2: for everybody <laughs> have, out
3: there. Do not put coffee in your anus. That coffee you say, goes. But we're
2: not. Jury's we. out on the five-hour energies. Maybe and when you that's that. We
3: are you proposing <laughs> this for the show?
1: Like well, I'm. I don't know. It's it's this going to be like a second <laughs> act. for one Well, I just didn't like they like
0: we have them they exist this is not medical advice for you or
1: listeners today on act two of the shortcode podcast we're all giving each other coffee enemas
2: i have one more thought on this the caffeine of the five-hour energy though my take on caffeine in doses that are other than like coffee or tea is that's when you maybe have a caffeine problem this is my take caffeine pills or caffeine in a five-hour energy you're just you just want it right in your system. Right. Versus or, the coffee. This is me like justifying my coffee mm-hmm. addiction. Because of the addiction that I now have, I can convince myself that it's because of the taste of yeah. this bitter I bean think water.
4: Black, just straight black coffee tastes
1: delicious. When I moved to Iowa pour over coffee was not a thing where in in where I came from in in Massachusetts
2: I'm such a psycho that I make pour over every single morning
1: okay that's dumb but (laughs) don't
2: disrespect my addiction it means that I only drink one cup of day so but I remember
1: going to the coffee shop and being like I'll have a coffee and they were like sure and then they began to pour it over this like funnel thing and I'm like what the are you doing I'm a busy man Like, is this what Iowa is? Like, you have nothing to do and you can just stand in front of a thing. Give me the brewed, the sweet, already brewed coffee so I can run and gun.
3: So I'm going to go ahead and say that... So I don't drink really caffeine ever. I don't really take it. Unless I'm doing like a long, like a night shift or something. And that point... I would rather do something like the five hour energy or a pill because, like, I'm not here for the taste. I because just need this one energy it. for this one evening yeah. and then we're done. The relationship's Big over. That either.
2: is the healthiest form of caffeine pills or five hour energy is because you don't have caffeine constantly. It's yeah. the people that are having four cups of coffee a day and then they're like, and I need an extra <laughs> dose. Yeah. yeah. But also, like, <laughs> you can visibly all, see their
3: all, pulse all, from across the room. Like, that's totally yeah. concerned. <laughs> this
2: is not medical advice, by the way. This is simply a Riley opinion. It's this about is, the
0: rate, too, though. It's about the rate of ingestion. Too. Like you take whatever, a Starbucks, you know, it's 200 this milligrams. Is shots
2: versus correct. 40 ounce beer.
0: Correct. An Edward 40, yeah, correct. 40 Double fist pounds. in, you know, you're going to drink it slower You know, Casey Musgrave's, you're going to have that slow burn. You're going to have that yeah, nice yeah, I bolus. guess I don't know what
2: the
3: bioavailability of caffeine is, so.
0: I could imagine it's probably faster if you down it in one enema versus, you know, like four hours of <laughs> I think, I okay, think what the, you the, mean on a is roast. you up it in yeah, one. Yeah, there is no, no downing
3: in enemas, <laughs> it is going up. <laughs>
4: Okay, yep, my anatomical, post, you know, anterior, posterior, superior. I don't know. I feel like when you take it, like, five-hour energy, it's just so soulless. When you're drinking a beverage, you know, it's an experience. <laughs> I, you take If you do the five-hour energy, you're just taking a drug, man.
2: I guarantee there's not a single person on that point that has their five-hour energy and is like, I'm going to cherish this morning. This gonna over- is going to yeah. make my day. <laughs>
1: Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Shortcoat Podcast.
4: Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews.
2: By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com.
1: Welcome back to the Shortcoat Podcast, <laughs> the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine just going to let that burn into your brain for a second. Drinking from that fire, hose, should we say drinking from that pour over? Drinking or. from that five-hour energy.
3: <laughs> with me today in the SCP studio, two
1: halves of his body are mirror images of each other along, with his, along a central axis. It's M1, Jeff Goddard. That's more or less accurate, yes. As a member of the phylum Chordata and the subphylum Vertebrata, he's characterized by having a backbone made of vertebrae. It's M4, Nathan Spitz. Is that a compliment? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. His endoskeleton provides plenty of support and protection for his body. It's M4, Mitch Lefebvre. What up, y'all? And she has a coelom lined by
3: mesodermal tissue housing her internal organs. It's MD, PhD student, Riley B. and Bush. I do, yeah. You missed the opportunity to say those that are receiving the enema that is that fire hose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Pucker up, everybody. (laughs) You set (laughs) set
2: it up
0: and everything. Actually, don't pucker. Relax. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna go a lot better
1: for
2: you to relax it's a rite of passage in medical school what can we say so you're to feel
1: some pressure <laughs> <laughs> breathe did you start did you really quick
2: did you start doing coffee you, enemas in one year no yes. i was gonna say did you
1: start your caffeine did your caffeine addiction really like go into high gear during medical school or did you already yes uh, medical
4: school yeah, okay. that's Where it comes from. Mine
2: was undergrad. Okay. Because I felt like I needed the caffeine more. It started to become a thing that tasted good because usually you start with the sugary beverages. Definitely acquired
1: taste, yeah. Yeah,
2: I grew up thinking it smelled terrible because my parents are both coffee drinkers. And then you start in college, you get the sugary lattes and then you realize those are expensive and you're poor so you just go to the black coffee and then now i love it so
0: the 2022 is it miriam webster dictionary word of the year was goblin mode
2: was it actually
0: it was goblin i don't remember if it was miriam or oxford anyway one of the dictionaries was goblin mode And I would say my caffeine addiction like really ramped up in undergrad. Being like a resident assistant, we had the like meal swipes or things like that that you could use at the library or flex meals and you could get like a drink, an entree on two sides. And at 10.50 p.m right you know 10 minutes before the like library cafeteria closed i would go and get a 20 ounce starbucks no. coffee to like feel, that was this was real like goblin mode like wow not recommended. real. no zero out of 10 like <laughs> i was disrespecting my body in undergrad it was really unhealthy looking back i'm like surprised that i made it so
3: out alive i uh Again, I don't consume caffeine. Have we you all dabbled? have different relationships. Have you dabbled
2: in I mean, caffeine Yeah, I mean,
3: like I have said, like I've worked yeah. like overnight shifts or that stuff. I tend to, I'll take maybe a caffeine pill if I'm like really struggling. But probably like, probably works ex- a lot better that way. Yeah, I mean, it's more effective. But like, like for example, last night I got mm, ninety minutes of sleep, which is not healthy. So disrespecting my body. <laughs> goblin mode. That's some goblin also, mode right there. <laughs> like I didn't die, you know. Like I just don't feel like some of my classmates get eight hours of sleep and they are so sluggish until they get their coffee, and I just. Personally, I just don't want that experience in life. You know, I don't want the first thing that I can relate to. Yeah, I don't want the first hour and 15 minutes of my Mm. day to be terrible until I get to coffee. Like I just, I like to wake up and just exist and be happy. Mm. Well, I have a fun
2: coffee fact is that you're actually not supposed to drink coffee for the first 90 minutes of the day. Okay, Okay, Andrew Huberman. I was gonna say, shout out Andy Huberman. Huberman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I can call him Andy. Because if we're gonna get science-y here, adenosine is the thing in your brain that binds to your receptors that kind of tells you're still sleepy. And so you need the 90 minutes in the day to let the adenosine actually bind and then metabolize away Mm -hmm. before you have coffee. If you have coffee before that, it blocks the adenosine, but the adenosine stays and floats around so that when the coffee, the caffeine, then unbinds, the adenosine is right there and can just bind. So that's why you get the crash after you drink coffee Uh, in the afternoon. So would this
1: explain why on the weekends, this only happens on the weekends because this is when I have time for this sort of nonsense. So I get up in the morning, I throw back so, uh, you know 16 ounces of cold brew and then not long after that I take a nap
2: <laughs> I mean that's like right after the cold brew not
1: right after but you know probably within a period of two hours or something
0: but I think you've got the environment right there like you have the ability to take a nap Right, like, and, I'm
2: also, like,
1: and I'm also traditionally up, still in the bed. Correct. right. Like if you brought a bed <laughs>
0: into work and yeah. silenced all of your equipment, locked your doors, like could you drink cold brew and still take a nap? That sounds like a fantastic Probably. plan, actually. I'm gonna try. This is I'm for gonna, science. I'm gonna
3: try, I'm gonna try for science for science. So, Dean, Dean yeah. Cooper, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> Please don't knock them running an experiment. <laughs> this is science. It's
2: for science. Going on here, the, Jeff.
3: I don't know what we're talking about today. Apparently, do, do you? Yeah, I brought some things to talk about. They may be controversial. Let's find out. Okay. So, as you may or may not know, I am a bit of a nerd and uh, (laughs) my google alerts my my antenna has been twanging yeah a (laughs) goblin mode (laughs) type of nerd exactly (laughs) some people have their like google alert set to like dave bautista or whatever minor like set to like (laughs) the cocker review or you know stuff like that so uh, that
0: was a
3: sly reference to the glass onion go watch a good movie guys he's done with those type of roles
2: is he what is he gonna do
0: refined he's refining himself
2: he
3: has to go find of the arts now yeah Yeah. so the thing that i want to talk about today was the concept of equipoise and in the context of a couple of studies that have come out recently so i'm gonna raise your hand if you don't know what equipoise is
4: Please, I only please. know because I asked him before we started. Please use it in a sentence. <laughs> I What's thought the
1: origin? A, when, when I read this, because all I literally all I had about this topic was Molnupiravir, Equipoise, and Research. And of course, I immediately assumed that Equipoise was a drug? penis drug.
3: Okay. Yeah. It is not indeed a penis drug. Equipoise is this idea that there is reasonable dissension on an idea. Right? Oh, okay. That, that there are reasonable, reasonable people parties. can disagree. Yeah. Reasonable mm-hmm. people could disagree on this, right? So for example, we might say- A and concept that, that we're thoroughly unfamiliar with in-
2: Today's 2023. <laughs> yeah.
3: Go ahead. But like, I think that in medicine, I think most of us would be reasonably comfortable saying there is not equipoise on the issue of um, vaccines and autism, right? We've studied that to death over the last- 25 years we're comfortable saying there's no more equipoise we don't have to study that but some other issues that may be politically charged aren't necessarily shouldn't be scientifically charged and there still is some equipoise right we're still trying to figure this out recently the head of the cdc was in front of congress testifying and they asked why certain things hadn't been studied during the covid pandemic and she said well there wasn't equipoise and that's the question who gets to decide what's reasonable dissent
1: so that so in this testimony, what they were saying is, again, the definition of equipoise, I have to keep reminding myself of that because it's a new word. It is, you know, they weren't studying it because we felt like we already knew the answer to those
4: questions.
3: Whether or not somebody thought that they knew the answer to those questions, they didn't feel like there were reasonable people arguing in good faith on the other side. Okay. Right?
4: Was this about, like, COVID research specifically? COVID or, research or specifically, other kinds? right? Okay.
3: Because in this country, it became, uh, unfortunately and tragically, politicized, Right.
0: Yeah, in the premise that we don't need to do a randomized control trial that parachutes work when jumping out of a plane. Yeah, if to, to use an extreme example, except
3: that we in medicine use that metaphor all the time, and every time we do, yeah. we end up studying it, and turns out <laughs> it wasn't actually a parachute,
4: right? So that's the concern. They used to give what estrogen replacement therapy to postmenopausal women, and it actually was increasing morbidity and mortality. So, but they it was like well you replace the estrogen it's good right because they used to have it yeah but it ended up being bad oh but that study though i don't i can't I like say, quote there's
2: something that's yeah
4: they studied since
2: the, changed yeah, back. the on target
0: that. population in that they like only studied older women so they didn't have the like longitudinal data to like track long term i don't remember the exact like specifics mm-hmm. but at least in that study there's been like several like outcries or backlashes against that study due to its like limited patient population the, like limited scope their lack of ability to like track long-term changes and things
3: like that but we, oh, we might use though. the word in this juncture equipoise there is okay. equipoise around that research is equipoise different than like a lack of knowledge? Like that we I just think it's didn't a communal know. recognition of that lack of knowledge is the point this idea that there are people that have different ideas of what might be the answer because we don't have enough answer to say what is the answer I feel like it's right. lack
2: of knowledge plus the desire to get that knowledge i don't think that you could have equipoise around like hey we don't know I don't know, what we don't know that we also wouldn't care to know. Something yeah. that we wouldn't care to know also. Yeah. I like think that's also fair, yes. Yeah, Yeah. It,
3: I don't know. So an example that came out this year that I thought was a really good study was the Molnupiravir study in the UK. So that's, for those that don't know, that's essentially their prophylaxis similar to here in the United States, right? And it worked phenomenally in unvaccinated patients to significantly decrease mortality with COVID and infectivity. So they're sicker for less period of time and it's less severe. They did a study showing, trying to see what the effects would be on vaccinated people, because now the majority of people are vaccinated. We want to see how this would go. What would you assume the results of that would be?
0: That it would be less effective or less dramatic of effect if people are already vaccinated. It's
3: a reasonable assumption, right? You might think maybe there's an additive effect, maybe there's a synergistic effect, or maybe there's no increased effect. There is equipoise. And so they studied it and it showed just like you said there wasn't actually much there wasn't a statistically significant benefit to taking this prophylaxis if you are already vaccinated that is already giving you the immunological advantage that you need in this case right is
0: this like a fair study though assuming that like times have changed and like the virus itself changed right like we earlier we were working with oh i don't even remember some of the like earlier variants delta Delta, that were like a lot more lethal less infective and then the shift towards omicron and a less lethal more infective
3: yeah so i mean this public this was published at the very end of last year so they're likely studying things Mm -hmm. you know over the course of the pandemic not the entire pandemic of course this is a relatively new therapy to begin with right so that's a good point this is kind of the whole point of this conversation is that we have to have enough humility to say that there are a lot of things there are a lot of factors that we can't really control for that. We're doing our best to try to understand this. I think that the reason why a study like this is really important is because we live in a country where things cost a lot of money. Paxlovid is not necessarily a cheap intervention, especially if you don't have insurance, it would be reasonable to say is this going to provide a benefit to me if I'm going to be shelling out $10,000 for it? I think, right? But we have to agree that there's equipoise on that conversation first.
2: How do we do that? Like, who's deciding if there's equipoise or not?
3: Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of a communal consensus,
2: right? Yeah. Mm
4: -hmm. Well, I think who decides what research gets performed is who gets funded, you know, who does the NIH fund or other, like, institutions and the grant reviewers, like... Because you can only fund so many grants, right? Uh Like a clinical trial can't get done without money, so who thinks it's important? And I think that could be, you know, it could be for the duty of science or like holding to that ideal of understanding more and helping people, but it could also be like financial, like drug companies wanting to look at certain things because they think they can make money off of it. So I don't think anyone, like one person decides it. You know it's more of maybe like a system that's deciding what's getting done yeah and
3: i would say that like i for sure unequivocally disagree with people like i'm gonna have to name drop rand paul for example on this idea that there is a lot of government waste around basic science research i understand the concern that you can't see the applicability of the specific knowledge But that's all of science. You need to do basic science in order to get to a point where you can understand how this might be applicable to applied science, right? I guess my concern is, for example, here in the United States, because it became such a political issue, there were a lot of things throughout the pandemic that weren't studied because they couldn't get funding for it, right? There were no NIH grants toward a lot of issues around COVID, which was sick, honestly, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of answers that we could have had that we didn't get. Now, I want to back up and say there are a lot of things that we did study that I'm like, It's phenomenal that we did right? the project warp speed as much as there's been some controversy around it. It was a phenomenal research endeavor, a partner between private and public funding. I loved it. Right. It's about certain treatments early on in the pandemic. Are these going to be effective? I mean, I remember, wow, there's this cool study that says that this is basically going to be the miracle cure. And then we did a quick study on it and found out that wasn't the case. Right. And we pushed those research. Ivermectin. Sorry. I'm Ivermectin I'm is literally on over my something. list, right? Uh, hydroxychloroquine. Things that yeah. people said, hey, this is the cure. And so everybody said, all right, let's study it. And they did like 40 studies. They knocked them out, boom, because they wanted to show, because there was equipoise. And then they... Now there isn't, right? Because we were able to study it and put the issue to rest, right?
2: I think what's frustrating, partially in the kind of idea of equipoise, and as we're naming examples, a lot of them are does it cure COVID? Does it not cure COVID? Oftentimes, though, kind of as you're alluding to Mitchell, like the basic science isn't as shiny. And like the NIH actually needs to fund basic science work to kind of build a foundation that we can then build everything else on. But I think what the problem with basic science is and why it's not shiny to the U.S. population is that scientists aren't that great at explaining why basic science research is necessary. To tell someone, hey, I discovered XYZ protein, it does XYZ signaling to the, and ch- turns on X, Y, Z, DNA. I mean, if it's you hear... not a very
1: compelling story. It's
2: not a very compelling... Then it's you, an then you awesome see the science shock. story. You see the, but the you're like, shock, yeah. what's the protein? The name's like a bunch of letters and numbers put together, and maybe it like is monoclonal, so it's got Mab at the end, whatever it may be. That isn't as exciting for people. And but I think if, about this a lot in that scientists are partially to blame for this because we are not seeing our jobs as the salespeople that we actually need to be as far as getting people to understand and value our research. So I think when we talk about equipoise, there's so much around like finding cures for things, whereas a lot of times to find the cure, it is these like basic science research. And like you said, there's a lot of people that are like, boo, basic science research, get rid of it. It's not useful.
4: Oh yeah. I mean, I've heard like clinicians allude to like, I don't care about basic science research. Just show me like the translational benefit or like it, cause if it doesn't help a patient, it doesn't matter. But the way I don't know how you explain it to people, either whether it's other, you know, healthcare professionals or scientists or the general public. But I would say we don't understand fundamentally how many things in the world work. And if you, when we learn more about how the world works, we end up discovering things that have unpredictable benefits like CRISPR technology for gene Mm -hmm. editing, which is, you know, still being developed, but it has a lot of promise for human treatment that was discovered i think originally in e coli and people were doing like basic science research but it. it probably wasn't funded by the national institutes of health first it's probably like an nsf grant or something the same thing is true for like checkpoint blockade therapy which has revolutionized cancer therapy a lot of that work was fleshed out in a mouse model where they were studying chronic lymphocytic choriomeningitis meningitis virus infection in mice which is not really a super clinically translatable infection model although there's a lot of great science that's done with that in terms of immunology and again when it was first discovered it was just this like PD-1, like, oh, the T cells are being less functional, and if we reverse this, now they're more functional in this mouse model. It's just like CRISPR. We didn't even know what it was when we found it. You couldn't go out and be like, oh, I'm going to figure out how to like reverse immune dysfunction in cancer, because we didn't even fundamentally understand that was a big issue necessarily in cancer. So we don't know what we don't know. And so to fill those gaps, a lot of what we do, we just have to say, this is worth knowing because it might tell us something about how the world works, but we can't even predict what that is right now.
3: I mean, I personally like the idea of living in a society, and I know that this is very idealistic of me, but that seeks knowledge for the sake of knowledge, right? And to be proud of that fact that we fund knowledge for the sake of knowledge, but it kind of to your point that like, imagine like we have such hindsight bias looking at research that's been done like all of the basic science research that didn't come to fruition we can look at the examples that did like for example some guy was playing in his spare room and he was trying to figure out what the heck electrons were up to and all of a sudden we have x-rays like one of the most important to this day one of the most important diagnostic tools that we have in medicine right including one of the most important like tools we have to treat certain ailments it was just some guy playing in his room. He just like, electrons are cool, right? He had no idea that, that was going to happen. Who's funding that guy, right? Who is the modern day equivalent of some guy dinking around in his room in a scientific way that might create that? There's no way to know.
1: Short coats, we love to hear from you, no matter what it's about. So call us at 347 Short CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show this is also <clears throat> sort of what's behind the mythos of the the lone inventor you know as you say playing around with something it is i feel like is it true that we've discovered some a lot of the things that you know we could have found by you know i always say pouring vomit into our cuts as we might have done in the 18 18- Forties or whatever
3: to try. <laughs> I have literally no idea what you're trying to say with pouring volumet into our. Cats, I mean, but I'll
1: roll. I on. mean, back in the you old. lost us. Back in the old yeah. days
4: leeches. Yeah, back in the old days of medicine,
1: if you wanted to, you know, like if you were like, if, if you wanted to figure something out, you experimented on yourself.
3: Oh, fair. Right. Yeah. You but know, think, you yeah. did
1: weird things like you drank pee to feel like to figure out if you know somebody was diabetic or a, it's still the grossest thing we've ever done. I and I know. think we've not done that, but you know. Maybe an answer to that. Oh, I thought you meant
3: on the podcast. Oh, not here. That's not. (laughs) In human history, definitely not in this room.
1: Maybe an answer as
0: to why we don't to give like a case example would be that scientist, I believe in China, who was using like CRISPR technologies on babies to like edit out their resistance or to like create resistance to HIV. Like we a reason that the scientific community like discourages that self-discovery or like unregulated experiments is like the potential harm. Now that could come with the technology that we do have. But what's today. interesting
1: about that example, I think, is that if I remember correctly, to get back to Equipoise, the person that you speak of was supported and encouraged by a group of people who felt like it was important or at least not unimportant to learn stuff about, you know, through this person's research. And then when it kind of blew up, they all of a sudden people were like, no we we know, have no idea what he know. was doing I mean, this whole that's time that's crazy what he we was.
3: definitely don't have email trails going years back to <laughs> <And> tacit <laughs>
0: approval so yeah to rope in equipoise i think that like brings in the kind of like vocal minority and like how much weight do we give to these people for example like in arkansas like the lieutenant governor was like citing you know like non-practicing physicians and like their opinions or their thoughts on gender affirming care for kids and like disregarding the evidence from like quite literally almost like every major medical organization and. Do we call that equipoise that like one or two very vocal fringe, non-licensed people? I'm not sure the example of like the Chinese doctor or researcher who did that. But like, is that equipoise that we like? Yep. There's like one or two people who disagree. So we have to like give this credit or we have to give credence to this argument. Like there are things I think, and maybe this is me being like biased and opinionated, that are just like right and wrong or there it's like data proven already like that this is right and this is wrong slavery the whole you know there are just like things in society that we accept that like this is right this is wrong there will like always be Holocaust deniers or things like that, but does that mean because there's equipoise that we should like study
1: this more? Like, yeah, is I, that equipoise? Or I is feel that like I have a few being... more
2: nuanced examples to add to that. Yeah, things that we could think of as right or wrong. So there are still things kind of in science that we. Maybe I've done stuff with. So, for example, I do some environmental toxin work, and the specific in- environmental toxin that I look at was actually banned by the US government in the 1970s. You could look at that and say, Good job, we did it. Like, we banned it, it's gone. Is this DDA? It's not DDA. No, no. It's PCBs, if anyone cares, but I won't oh, get into oh, the. Right, the right, yep. So, here, in 2023, y'all have heard of it. I don't think it's because you heard of it being banned in the 1970s. You've heard of it because it sticks around. So, the US government's saying, oh, well, we did our things. We remedied it. It's somewhere. But scientists are saying, no, it's in everything we're around. It's in the paint. It's in the caulk. It's it's in in our blood. It's in our water. (laughs) It's in our blood. Like We have to study this. And now I have to go and convince people that it's worth studying. We could also say the same thing about, gosh, I heard this recently, where We're talking about pregnancy. Why do people go into labor? We have kind of an idea. We have a general idea based on hormones. We know that labor is generally a good thing. We're going to have a baby after that, but why? And like, is it important to study? There are these kind of big overall things like acupuncture, where it's like, we know it kind of works anecdotally. We have thousands of years of evidence based on these, I want to call them Eastern medicine, but I'll call them more alternative medicine therapies. We know they work, but like, why do they work? Are those things worth studying? Is it worth studying environmental toxins that, for all intents and purposes, the U.S. is banned? Is it worth studying why does labor happen? Is it worth studying why does acupuncture work? I'd argue it's worth studying all of those things, but I think there's a lot of equipoise around whether or not the money, time, and energy should actually go to those things.
1: And I think that's it. It's you know, there's only so much of anything, time, money, energy that you can pour into research the, the overarching research bucket and so choices are made and it seems to me that the funding bodies whether it's the you know NIH or the NFS or whatever you're talking about they're making those decisions on what is reasonable right
2: i think a lot of it yeah
1: With, it without the constraints of the
0: government like for example the CDC wasn't allowed under uh, some certain legisl- or, you know certain presidential bodies to study like gun violence <laughs> for example right? right like maybe there was equipoise or i mean i think it's now like is, is that even equipoise like it's a leading killer of like kids
3: I, now. I think it like, would be important to point out that for fairness sake that was congress had passed a law specifically so that was less there, of right. an administration more of a legislative decision
0: there we go thank you for i also disagree context.
3: with that legislative decision right it was not one presidential administration yeah. he made that call.
4: Well, I would say, and that's an example of like anti-equipoise because you're not, you know, it's, that's unipolar, right? only one side. You're not debating anything. Is yep. so getting to decide, yeah.
1: Our episode today is sponsored by Panacea Financial. It's a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Panacea Financial is designed for medical students and residents as it was founded by two doctors that were financially frustrated during their training. Thousands of doctors have used their PRN personal loan to avoid credit cards and use a better way to cover expenses for residency, relocation, or other life expenses. Panacea's PRN personal loan does not require a cosigner, has no minimum credit score requirement, and has interest rates starting at half of a typical credit card. They also offer a period of no or reduced payments on their PRN personal loan. So go to panaceafinancial.com slash matchday to learn more about Panacea and get other helpful information on match day residency transition and enter their 500 dollars giveaway to those starting residency this year panacea financial is a division of premise member fdic thanks for the support panacea let's get back to the podcast
3: so uh, to to throw a kink in this conversation wrinkling up the paper a bit on the one hand i have a heavy bias toward evidence-based medicine and consensus-based practice on the other i know this is sampling Bias, but like every significant advance has come from an individual and often against the grain of the establishment, right? Like uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy that discovered H. pylori is essentially what's causing ulcers and stubborn cancer, had to perform it on himself because he couldn't convince anybody else. Here, call back,
0: Dave. There we go. Instead (laughs) of pouring vomit on cuts, it's ingesting bacteria.
2: I bet someone has poured a vomit on their cut in the past. There's no doubt about it. But and that was
3: like in the last like I mean he won a Nobel Prize in my lifetime because he had to do this experiment by himself because nobody would give him the time of day, and it ended up being revolutionary for cancer prevention right it's saving us in the united states you know hundreds of thousands of dollars per cancer patient right so how do we balance we want evidence-based we want consensus science and also yeah it's gonna be that one weird one weirdo that's willing to ingest bacteria i guess that's gonna (laughs) advance the field in some way it has to we have to be able to find a balance between the two right
0: I think Mitchell brought up, like, a great point, maybe to, like, expand on that further, that we do have, like, pretty thorough regulating bodies, whether it's, like, NIH grant reviewers who are made up of community members and scientists and things like that. But like, oftentimes these grant reviewal committees will require, like, proof of concept or proof of evidence and that we have, like, private companies or, you know, the NSF or other type of organizations to, like, help bolster some of these, like maybe more novel or fringe type of studies and i I don't know like overall i think that's okay like right now where we're at that we like don't automatically fund multi-million dollar studies for potential like fringe type of things and to like have i know it like puts a lot of barriers for people who don't have access to all the supplies and lab resources and things like that and there's a lot of like inequity already like baked into our system but I don't know, like I think we've got some good checks and balances, at least like in the US.
2: I think the thing that I was trying to harp on too, and somewhat of a soapbox that I'll get on, is that the way you communicate science to, for example, grants, it's like persuasive writing. You have to convince someone that what you are doing is the right thing to do and is the best use of their money. That's like the whole point. So it's persuading a group of people that what you are saying is so important. I think for say the crazies that are gonna go ahead and just age pylori, it's so important that if you have cool ideas like that, if you feel a little bit mad science-y, you gotta go and convince people that it actually is important to study. And this is where the way we communicate and convince people becomes really important because science, it, like by necessity, must be shared with people. And it must convince people of a certain, I guess, conclusion and without the ability to communicate that without the ability to convince someone hey this is the way that i or what i should do your science isn't going to be heard so it is on the governing bodies but it's also on the scientists themselves to like be good salesmen of their science
3: so as an american i recognize that i have a bit of a bias toward individualism i know this exists in me but also like if that scientist is right and he still can't convince the governing body of science because of maybe political expediency because of an administration or something like that that is worth studying is he any less right no is his information any less valuable this is
2: like if a tree falls in the wood and woods and no one is there to hear it doesn't still make a sound yeah
0: to give like a real life example like the maps project and like psychedelic studies right like there are several i mean there's year you know decades of like barring research on the use of psychedelics for mental health purposes But I think that's maybe, like, an example of that, in air quotes, like, mad scientists, people studying things that were banned or illegal, but who, like, had dedication and who were, like, Riley said, able to, like, effectively communicate to private investors or to private individuals in that individualistic, like, aspect to, like, sway and convince people that what they were studying was worth it. And, like, now we have, like, NIH-funded studies using MDMA, psilocybin, ketamine, etc. And, like, it... I think you're right. Like harkening back on what you said, like it took fringe people, but like with our checks and balances, like although it's slow and it's at like a glacial speed, you know, I, what I feel like is at glacial speed. Like it's not at glacial speed for like no reason.
1: I would like to bring it back to the vomit doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you googled this? This is a I real did, thing, isn't it? I did Google this. Is a real thing, and I believe we've talked about it on the show before. It was sort of sitting in my subconscious from the 450 so some odd episodes that are in there somewhere. Stubbins Firth. A doctor.
2: What a name. Can we just pause on stubborn yeah, first? That is incredible. Yeah. That is the greatest name of all time.
1: He observed that yellow fever was more common during the summer and disappeared during the winter. And he concluded it wasn't a contagious disease, but that it was caused by stimulation, heat, food, noise, things like that. I'm not really sure how he came up with that theory, but I've heard worse explanations. And he went to, to prove his, to prove it, he set out to demonstrate that no matter what he did, he wouldn't get sick from yellow fever. So he you know made small incisions on his arms, poured fresh black vomit <sighs> obtained Ooh. from a yellow fever patient into mm. the cuts. He also dribbled vomit into his eyes. He fried some in a skillet and inhaled the fumes. Oh yum. he's doing too much. <laughs> he fashioned some into a pill and swallowed it. This is from the Museum of Hoaxes. Hoaxes.org, a review of 20 most bizarre experiments of all time, if you want to look into that. He smeared himself with other yellow fever-tainted fluids like blood, saliva, perspiration, urine. Healthy as ever, he declared his theory proved. And he apparently was fine. Well, his last name was Fetish, sorry? Stubbins
0: Fetish. Oh, Fetish. Great, great. I could see how you might.
4: Okay, sorry. I misheard you. Well, of course, you know, yellow fever is spread by a mosquito bite. Yeah, and so he would. I mean, that's the thing, though. He didn't know what he didn't know,
1: right? So, but it's interesting that he was like this individual person, like screaming into the void, yeah. like this is what I think, and you know, he's one of the nutcases that we talk about. Versus, you know, the I don't know Jonas Salk, I think, who polio polio vaccine, who mm-hmm. you know was also kind of this archetypal, I think, lone experimenter a little bit, yeah. I mean, yeah. Injecting ta- people. I yeah. have a,
2: a pop culture reference in The Last, in and the last of, right, of right. Us. I
1: mean, you know, like, it turns out Sock was right and Firth was wrong. <laughs> I guess we need both of those kind of people, and now it's just fun to look back at Stubbins and go... Well, this happens <laughs> in The Last <laughs> of
0: Us. If anyone no, watches, spoilers. F-
1: no, no spoilers. No, this is not...
2: Uh,
3: this game know. came out, like, ten years okay, ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, four, the HBO five, series...
2: Is. An right, unmentioned character tries to do something crazy and tries to, like, use this use her blood to cure someone and like it doesn't really work so spoiler. i just said no spoilers yeah. <laughs> well um, it's not it, that big of a spoiler really
3: Leap, bleep it, it out work. for
4: the kids at home <laughs> I w- skip this part i will say getting back to the person screaming into the void you know it does go both ways and i think there's advantages for having all this regulation and structure there's also disadvantages because if someone who's on one of these committees that looks at your grants or decides if your paper gets to get published in a big name journal If they don't like you or they feel threatened by your science for whatever reason they can have a lot of power potentially to quash what your science is sure that happens pretty much to everyone at some point in their scientific career whether it's you know medical science or basic science there was the nobel prize in 2011 in medicine was for the discovery of dendritic cells and ralph steinman was an immunologist and i think it was in the 70s he discovered dendritic cells And this is a kind of cell that conditions T cells to go out and be functional. So they're tremendously important for the immune system. I mean, vaccines wouldn't work if dendritic cells didn't exist. The, at the time, macrophages, which are another kind of cell that's very similar to a dendritic cell, that was kind of the dogma was that macrophages exist and they are the ones that condition adaptive immune responses, like after you get sick or after a vaccine. And Ralph Simon spent like years and years kind of screaming to the void. He would go to conferences. He would say, look at my data. These are dendritic cells. They're not macrophages. They're different. I'm not saying macrophages aren't important, but I'm saying that dendritic cells are new and that we need to study them. And people would like heckle him at these research conferences. No one believed him. A lot of his early publications were not in like great journals. But he persisted and eventually he won the Nobel Prize for it. And so it really does go both ways. I mean, some things that are actually good end up getting quashed or held back for a long time because it doesn't sit well with whoever the establishment is in those, you know, study sections or leadership positions.
3: One of the one of the greatest tragedies of modern science. Story makes me a little emotional. He actually didn't know that he won the Nobel Prize. Yes. Because he died before they reached out to him. One of the very few people to receive it posthumously because it was rewarded awarded before they knew that he had passed away. But I mean medicine is so much better for this man who refused to stop yeah. screaming into the void. He just kept going, right? So a
0: I don't know how we get around it because I feel like that's like applicable to um, not even like, I guess maybe it's like discovery in general, but like the internet, email. You know, everybody's like, oh, this will never work. Like, <laughs> it's human. Nature. The, it's human. Yeah, correct. Yeah.
2: What's interesting is I feel like a lot with kind of the way that the internet has evolved over the last 20 years, you could argue that a lot more voices are being heard in 2023 than they were in 1990 because of the advent of social media, et cetera. I don't necessarily think I could say the same for science because of all the hierarchy that still exists with journals being seen as better than other journals, with grant types being seen as better than other grant types. Like, I think that You could have really awesome science and have it published in kind of a third tier journal and tweet about it. And people like would still have some degree of bias because of the journal that it was published in. So whereas we've got this democracy of in sorts of ideas in which everyone kind of has their fair share of say based on social media. I think science still lacks in that because of all these established blockades and or hierarchy that keeps really awesome science from getting heard. Granted, those same systems probably prevent not so great science from being say, by a, a really wide mass. Yeah. And that's where it becomes hard is how do you piece apart those the things? The thing is
3: that a lot of bad science and this isn't like like poorly executed studies do get published because they're politically expedient and i'm not talking about political parties here i'm just like the politics of the journals the or of, of academia, or, right yeah. mm-hmm. and so some guy that has i don't know several hundred publications to his name turns out he's just cranking out these papers that really aren't doing anything to the field at all they're just something else that has his name on it right and it's kind of a waste of everybody's energy but he keeps getting published because he's publishing it in a field that is expedient and he represents a big name and it just keeps happening right and so that's also a problem and again i agree with you the system isn't perfect it still does a lot of good in the world i'm very fond of our american system of putting out more knowledge into the world i just i have concerns
4: it's when you look at like these scientific journals their goal is to raise their stature in the field and so what they do when they look at papers mostly what they care about is how much is this going to get cited you know is there going to be some big news press about the fact that this paper was published and the science was done it's not necessarily you know is it the best done science or is it something that's really meaningful or what have you those things correlate so there are i would say on average The papers that are in the higher tier journals tend to be better; they tend to be more impactful. Mm -hmm. But it's not a perfect system. I would say it's, I would say it's a good system that has some serious flaws. Is kind of how I would describe it. But then I'm, you know, looking at it from the framework of what I know.
3: Yeah, I just and one of the reasons that I'm kind of biased at this point is I've done a lot of research over the last several years in cancer policy and that like a lot of my undergrad work was with cancer researching and that kind of thing. And we would look at we would analyze drugs that have like this had been studied and then put on the market. And the general argument from the capitalist perspective is every new drug is a good thing because it like collectively drives prices down, right? But then you start looking at these drugs that like aren't better and are probably a little bit worse or way worse than the drugs that already exist but because they can control what they decide their control arm is it kind of, they fudge the data just enough that it looks like it's saying something. Right. And then it's only the poor people get hurt. Right. So it's it's a racket. Yeah. And it's very frustrating to see that throughout scientific communities, but especially in medicine in a country where at the end of the day, the patient's the one that's going to go bankrupt. Right. So this is a heavy conversation for the day. I enjoyed it. Should we end with some
0: five
1: hour energy enemas to get us (laughs) (laughs) Shortcodes. If you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. Don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank
0: Thank you. This is maybe a hot take, and I haven't like caught the money out, but talking about refinancing or you know. What are they called? Loans when you move. Why did I bring just blank? You just said it. No, not refinancing loans, but oh, re- a relocation relocation loans. Loans. relocation loans. Maybe this is like a personal take. I don't know. I didn't like return a lot of my loans that were recommended me, and like now at the end of M four, looking at like moving across the country, which is like really expensive. I'm like kind of glad I didn't. So something to think about, I guess, if you're a medical student or soon to be medical student, you know, who's financing their education on their own or with loans with government loans or federal loans you have the ability within the first 100 days of the disbursement to like return those loans so those loans like won't recruit or won't accrue interest if you return them however there is like the origination fee so you'll be charged for taking that money out as medical students like a common piece of adv- or financial advice is to return unused loans so that they won't like accrue interest granted like we were in a fortunate position with the pandemic and the CARES Act or Heroes Act in that like our loans weren't incurring interest so like knowing that or looking forward in my final year, knowing that I would hopefully be moving across the country and that it's expensive and you you need several thousands of dollars for a new expensive apartment moving across the country, etc. That like there are relocation loans that you can take out that are private from well-meaning institutions. However, if you like don't return those loans in your final year. All of your like debtedness will stay within the federal government, which I think has like a lot of benefits. Before you start like expanding your like financial portfolio into like private companies or credit cards or things like that, so this is just something to. I don't know. I haven't like tallied if I'm if it's gonna cost me money or save me money at the end of the day by not returning the loans that well, I took it out. Well, probably comes didn't down use, to interest rate, right? But it's some, yeah, and it's something to think about, too, right? Like, the federal loans are, at like, whatever, right now, it's, like, 6.7, might go up, might go down with the feds. But these are there's so many, like, benefits that come from federal loans and that, like, you don't need a guarantor. Like, no, you know, if you die, your family members aren't going to be, like, on the hook for your mm-hmm. debt, whereas with some of these, like, private loans or if you refinance or take out, private loans like you may need to like put other people on the hook as a guarantor and like I don't have anybody in my family who would be like ready or willing to do that or is like in a position to do that so Dave just, said
2: he would for you. Really?
0: Oh, should we do <laughs> some celebratory yeah. enemas together? i like, clink, uh, pink, pink, <laughs> pink, <laughs> pink, pink, That was the sound up. of our anuses. <laughs> <shot. Yeah>. pink, <laughs> pinkies up. Why did I say uh, that? Yeah. I don't, I was, yeah, the clink was supposed to be the five-hour interview uh, shot. Uh, <laughs> not our anuses, but. Chaotic. Yeah, anyway. I can't leave
1: that in. Yeah, it's up to you. You could look at the numbers and decide, yep. well, that. Particular idea isn't for me i mean the thing that i right. think about when people are like well i decided not to do that because i knew that i would be able to pay it off or whatever right. but you know life is uncertain correct. you could get sick and not be able to finish med school correct. you could not match and never match like yep you know so it, it all depends on your aversion to risk correct i was i am the- maybe more risk averse than you are oh no i was very like a
0: bird in the hand is worth more than two in the bush like sorry not the be in bush but like if i you <laughs> yeah, know if i have don't
2: put disrespect if i have a bird all in the
0: hand <laughs> is worth more than two yeah, in the B. in yeah, correct <laughs> shout out Riley and Thomas that like as i have this money now all from like one place where like the rest of my like federal loans have come from like i feel more like certain secure i know that like the benefits of like these loans being discharged if i were to die or face like a grave disability and I just you know thought this would be like an appropriate time to like plug to other students to like think about where your money is coming from and like what potential like harms may become of you if you like diversify too much so maybe this is my like be a little less risky maybe. Okay. <laughs> if it works for you and if it makes Coming from benefits. having made
2: a risky choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Correct. That has so you know, turned to off. be maybe a little yeah. less risky. Correct. <laughs> New York notoriously cheap to live. <laughs>
0: oh, uh,
3: 100%. <laughs> I will be eating ramen but it will be good ramen. It
2: will be great ramen. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be
3: all right if I just, like a final plug, because I hate to end on a sour note. Research is awesome and science is going to inevitably get better and we're going to refine the process and we're going to get better at getting science out to people. It's going to happen. Okay. The world only gets better.
4: Yeah. I think we talked a lot about like drawbacks and downsides of many different things, but it's incredible what we can do with medicine these days In every field of medicine. There's been so many advancements that have improved quality of life, Mm -hmm. have extended people's lives and it's really just like tremendous when you talk with older physicians about what they used to do the options that they had for patients many times they were much more limited than they are today and we can really do incredible things and that's because there have been so many people out there who have just like busted their asses for so Mm -hmm. long um and everyone's every single person's contribution is usually fairly small and incremental on its own, and I think that's why it's hard to communicate why it's important. But when you add that all together, you have modern medicine, which is something that is very special, I think.
2: And, St- yeah.
1: Stubbins did some good work. <laughs> yes.
4: He
2: proved- even with the bureaucracy <laughs> he, of everything. I
0: mean, a negative hypothesis is still like a hypothesis, right? Like in its steer,
1: you know? That's that right, that we and, have we're, and even him. though he thought Something that was wrong, we still managed to get it right. And
0: now so. we don't have to do that because of him, thank right? Thank you, Stubbins. Like, thank you for your sacrifice, Stubbins. <laughs> cool. So people are busting. People are busting their asses Doc so Stubbs. we can Doc open Stubbs. up our asses <laughs> for those enemas. <laughs> oh
2: my <God>. Yes. <laughs> Just the through line. <laughs> the call bags. <laughs>
1: Nathan has matched, he does not give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know. Our I, don't know. Have some five-hour energy I don't think you're them. gonna
2: have to do many enemas in <laughs> psych, are you? <laughs> Probably
0: not. <laughs> well, we have to do three months of internal medicine. Oh, there you go. And a month of EM. So maybe. It's, yeah, a little less. I feel like nowadays it's more like manual disimpaction than or deimpaction
1: than enemas, but that's
2: okay. <laughs> I digress. <laughs>
1: well, Shakespeare said more or less. That Al the world's a stage. Al the world work. Al Jack, Stubbin's get that old it's a stage. Accent, yeah. all the world's a stage and all the people merely players. So let's play an improv game. What do you say? We got time. I'm gonna give you a starting line as well as five phrases. You'll have we'll have one phrase each. Our job is to construct a story together. So we'll have turns, and during your turn, you'll contribute to the story and you'll incorporate the phrase that is assigned to you however you like. We'll do a 45 seconds, we'll see what happens. Okay. The 45 seconds begins as soon as you start talking. You must talk throughout the 45 seconds and when time's up, you stop, even mid-sentence, for the next person to take over is the goal to trip up the next person or to set them up i just want a nice i just want a fun story
3: okay so and, improv like really good.
1: Good. Yep. and improv is always good yes, yes and improv is always yeah yes i guess you could be trying to trip them up in a funny way don't be
2: There's like competitive right improv sports let's
4: <laughs> let's see what this happens we have enough competition in our lives already let's riley let's you're do going down team. yeah you're going <laughs>
2: down <laughs> so i'm gonna
4: improv this shit i'm just kidding sorry so i'm one two three four five how about that okay okay are we just gonna keep going, or are we ending? We're gonna end on
1: five. All right. End on me. Perfect. So we'll start. <laughs> <laughs> Today I went to my doctor's appointment, and she told me that I have an unexpected talent, which is that I can that I can hold things with my nostrils, not with my anus, <laughs> <laughs> but with my we all nostrils. I thought it was <laughs> going there. Yeah. No. Not going there. Not going to even say those words. And, and, you know, we discovered this while I was, you know, sort of in the exam room. And she, you know, had her, you know, the light that they shine into your eyes. What do they call that light? Pen light. The pen light. (laughs) they shine into my eyes. And I just sort of reached out with my nostril and grabbed it. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was like, that's in my face. I'm going to grab it.
3: And then... (laughs) Now that I discovered this unexpected talent that I now have, I decided to take the show on the road. I discovered that with a little bit of practice, not only can I grab things with my nostrils, I can I can actually peel a banana and then toss the banana peel to the side this is a showstopper (laughs) let me tell you and then feed myself the banana and i have taken this i've taken this around i'm not getting a lot of applause but i am this is my new stand-up act so where are we on the time time
4: (laughs) so then i decided since i'm such a good samaritan and humanitarian and just a great person in general that i would take this talent and really improve the world with it (laughs) so i went around and i started thinking how can i make people happier well first of all i would go to places where people are sad um wherever that might be yeah. and i would just start peeling bananas in front of them with my nose and people sometimes laugh and sometimes they hit me but really <laughs> i focus on the positives and uh, so yeah i do laughter therapy now i go around uninvited usually <laughs> actually no one ever invites me it's and cool. i peel bananas it's like a one-man circus Basically.
2: Since I've seen the benefits of this laughter therapy with about 20% of the people that I do it in front of, I decided that I should study this. You know, we talk about researchers getting crazy ideas putting vomit in their cuts and i thought wow i should study this so i founded a secret laboratory because no one would fund this work and i got about one more person that could peel a banana with their nose it was my mom it's genetic actually so that was exciting to find out and so my mom and i invite a guest into our secret laboratory and we're at this point just trying to see how many people we can make laugh we're getting all the numbers we're seeing how high they laugh how long they laugh like how low like how
0: (laughs) and while we're finding out if they can laugh or not somebody along the way along our circus that we forgot to mention was the mischievous hamster that crawled up in my other nostril my left nostril in specific he was hiding there as my nose can peel bananas and make people laugh one day I started to hear a voice in my head from this mischievous hamster telling me that hey if your nose can do all these things maybe you should try inserting enemas. (laughs) There's one way that you can make people laugh, and that's through peeling bananas. But have you tried inserting an enema and pouring in a five-hour energy? And then our laughter rates and this laughter therapy in our secret laboratory with our unexpected talent went through the roof. I'm telling you 100% laughter rates with these five-hour energy enemas and these nose banana peeling
4: nostrils.
1: There you go. (laughs) That's what I was after. Dirt. He brought it Thank back. Yes. Yeah, and the hamster,
4: That's like you guys know that Eminem song. No, oh, I can't say
0: it. No, say, it. No.
4: No, say what? It's the Eminem song where he talks about like a gerbil crawling up his. A- oh, it's like yeah. yeah, that's a South Park it's episode. Old ba- well, back yeah. in
1: the day, yeah. a certain famous actor was was it was rumored that.
2: If you say allegedly, they can't come for you.
1: Enjoy that sort of thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a. Is it a gerbil? A gerbil. It's a gerbil. A gerbil.
2: Subsets of people that allegedly would.
1: I Appreciate mean, that. I <laughs> would find it. I'm going to assume none of us in this
4: room have. Are <laughs> you guys heard about the eel thing? Are you talking about that? No, what's nope, the eel yes. thing? Thailand, yes. the eel. Yeah, I was I'm there. not gonna her. yuck
2: someone's yum, yeah. but it's <laughs> the yuck for me. Like I'm not kink shaming. Yeah. I yeah. might yeah.
3: kink shaming kink ask why. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay,
3: so there's actual I'm just in, kink questioning. Yeah, okay. So this episode <laughs> is also brought to you by your rectum. Um, A wonderful biological marvel. It serves you well. Be careful with what you put in it.
1: Yeah. Just like your nose. It can hold a lot of things.
2: And be careful what comes out of it.
1: Yeah. Also Just be
2: aware. Just be aware.
1: (laughs) We'll start with the next one. We'll start with you, Mitch.
4: The starting phrase is, Sir, you should have seen that coming when the tongue depressor Yeah, you should have seen it coming when the tongue depressor, you like slipped it through my throat and then there was just the right angle and the right force and it went all the way down through my GI tract and now it is sticking out of my butthole and it is stuck there. I think there's a splinter also because it's not coming out no matter how hard we're trying to pull and there's a little bit of blood. And I just think like as a doctor, I mean as an M1, you should have learned how to use a tongue depressor. So. I might sue you for malpractice yeah because also i don't like you that much anyway and that's one of the reasons that we sue people so yeah please get this out jeff
3: <laughs> oh i'm a sorry patient like we should you know you know things happen we should probably chalk this up to a comedic mishap you know if you don't mind i'm actually going to go grab the rest of the medical team because i'm sure they're going to want to help us with this procedure getting this out and for no other reason so excuse me for just one second or at least see the popsicle stick or the tongue depressors
1: (laughs) sticking out. I mean, that's a pretty important medical finding right there and I think it's unusual. And one thing that I know about my colleagues in medicine is that they really love an unusual finding and I haven't seen this before. So let's bring in the whole team and we'll look at the anal, pop, the anal tongue depressor.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the anal popsicle. Okay. Uh,
0: although this may be a comedic mishap and I'm sure that popsicle has an unusual taste, there is one medical school story that I've had that I think could work. It involves enemas, but hear me out. It always does with, hear with you, Hear me Dr. out, <laughs> hear me out. When people have a prolapsed anus, you can use sugar and glucose to help draw water out to like reduce this. To reduce the anus, uh-huh. and so I'm thinking that we, you know, one time back in medical school, we used a sugar enema, a five hour energy, to <laughs> reduce this prolapsed anus, and I'm wondering if we could use this five hour energy. Get rid of that tongue depressor out of your anus. Riley?
2: It was at this point that the medical student spoke and the entire office just started laughing right in the medical student's face, just harassing that medical student for suggesting the five-hour enema. (laughs) Flash forward 20 years, that medical student is actually earning the Nobel Prize (laughs) for the five-hour energy enema that they have then found out causes... Popsicles, sticks, and or tongue depressors to spontaneously be removed from the anus. This medical student has gone on to earn millions and lots of praise and et cetera. And so at the end of the day, who's really laughing? It's not the office. It's science who missed this <laughs> genius science at the
1: is very laughing. beginning. Science is laughing. Very For good. full circle. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> good job. That's our show. Jeff, Riley, Mitch, Nathan, thank you for being on the show with me Thanks, today. Dave. It was Here a too. plenum of fun. Thanks for producing the show today, Jeff. Appreciate that.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I'm always happy to share my opinions. And what kind of
1: enema would I be if I didn't thank you, shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. Spotify, Apple Podcasts google podcasts youtube we're there the show is made possible by a generous donation by carver college of medicine student government and ongoing support from the writing and humanities program our music is by dr fox and catmosphere i'm dave Etler, saying don't let the bastards get you down talk to you in
3: one week i do love screaming into the void with you guys